0: We can go home right now. The spirit of the Lord is in this place. The Bible says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is good. And he's worthy to be praised. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We've got breath in our lungs, blood running through our veins. My granddaddy used to say, somebody didn't wake up this morning. But here we are today together as a family to praise and worship our God. Thank the Lord for his goodness. Thank the Lord for Jordan serving us and leading us in worship. Thank you for everyone who's serving. Today is a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Again, my name is Tim, one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. Have the blessing and the burden of Preaching God's Word this morning. Um, today we'll be in Second Peter, chapter one, verses three through eleven. Second Peter, chapter one, verses three through eleven. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This morning, usually we're in the CSB, but I'm reading from the ESV this morning. My whole goal for this time is to remind us today as a church that we have power. That God is powerful, and because we are in relationship with God, we are to live in power. So I want to encourage somebody who may feel weak, who may wrestling or struggling with some type of enduring temptation, some struggle, some attitude, some pattern that you feel like you can't break, I want to remind you today that you have power. Second Peter, starting at verse 3, it says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort somebody say make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue virtue with knowledge knowledge with self-control self-control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he's been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent Or the CSB would say, make every effort. Somebody say, make every effort. To confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your word does the work thank you for every single person in this room, every story, every experience, every gift. Father, I pray that in this moment you would help us to be hearers and doers of your word. I pray Father that you would help me to make it my ambition to please you and you alone. Lord, I I, I lift up Everyone who's being impacted and affected by the war in Israel, the lives that have been lost, the violence that's taking place, the children, thousands who've lost their lives to senseless injustice and violence and evil. Lord God, I pray for peace. I pray, Father, for comfort for those who are enduring undeserved suffering I can only imagine the traumas and the pains they're experiencing right now as they are continually in danger, threatened by violence, God I pray that you would protect, that you would demonstrate your power through protection and comfort and providing safe refuge for those who are in danger Lord God I pray for us the local body, the universal body of Christ, that we would partner in prayer. Lord Jesus, would you come? We look forward to your coming where you would make everything right. We need you, Lord. Be with us in this moment, God, and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. If I had a, a title this morning for this message, it would be the demands of deliverance. The demands of deliverance. Wallace Peoples, some of you better know him as Wallow, was recently on the Pivot podcast, and he was sharing his story of enduring 20 years of prison and now transitioning into a life of successful entrepreneurship. He shared about his successes and how he's been able to transition and the mindset he's developed over time in order for him to be successful now, but he also shares the traumas the pains he's endured, the people he's lost to the streets, the people he's lost to the system, and the struggles he still faces now as he lives his life within his experience. One of the hosts of The Pivot, Ryan Clark, asked him, as he looks back on his life, as he sees the successes he has now, does he have survivor's remorse? Does he feel bad? Does he feel some type of regret? Because he made it and so many of his friends did not. He confirmed that he does at times regret and struggle with the question of why he made it out when so many didn't. He encouraged those friends, those family members as their families and their friends are transitioning back into society after being in prison. He says you have to be patient when folks get out of prison. He says the scariest day of prison is the day you get out. It's the worst day of prison because you know you have to be everything you told your family you would be when you were in prison. Wallow says that there's a responsibility that comes with liberation there's an expectation that comes from deliverance he says that it's easy in prison to set expectations to make promises to share your dreams your ideas but all those things are tested all those things are tested when you actually are free same is true when it comes to our liberation in Christ. Liberation comes with responsibility. God has brought us out in order for us to do something that we were not able to do in bondage. Scriptures testify of this when you see the Exodus story, that this deliverance Of God, that God brings His people out of Egypt. There's a transition, a transfer, a change of location. He brings them out of Egypt into relationship with Himself on the way to the promised land. The same is for us who are in Christ this morning. God has transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His beloved son the interesting thing about what god does in the exodus story is he liberates his people and then he immediately gives them a law he gives them something to do he gives them his word to test their allegiance is to show who they truly are depending on he does this to help them understand their deliverance they see in their deliverance that God is the only one who has the power to bring them out and in the wilderness he is showing them that they still need God's grace to be changed into the likeness of who God wants them to be God liberates his people from the sin of slavery and now they are in this journey of God. Delivering them from the slavery of sin. Liberation is powerful, but the demands of liberation are hard. Being a Christian is hard. Y'all didn't say nothing when I said that. I know I'm not the only one who struggles. When I look at the word and I see God's commands, but I also see my temptations. I see my inclinations. I see my attitudes, my actions that rub up against God's demands. Liberation it reveals those things you don't like about yourself. It shows you the things that you cannot see when you were in bondage. God liberates us and in his liberation it removes the excuses that we had in sin. There's no excuses for disobedience, no excuses we can no longer blame Pharaoh. We cannot blame Satan because God has transferred us out of that environment of bondage, and now we just have to deal with ourselves, have to deal with the truth of our struggles, that every issue we have is not outside of us, but some things inside of us God still has to liberate us from. Peter, in this letter, he's getting close to the end. Of his life and his ministry. He wants to encourage and remind God's people that they have been delivered from Satan's bondage and in that in order to stay liberated in order to stay in God's power that they must continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. For Christians This is a beautiful reminder that we have access to God's power. Church, you have access to his power, and God wants you to experience his power, but just because you have access does not mean that you will experience his power. There's a space between accessing God's power and experiencing God's power, which must be filled in responsibility that we must be responsible for what God has given us. God's power, his promises are available to us, but we must learn to participate in our own transformation. The question of our time today is what resources do we have in God that empowers us to live liberated lives in this present age? Today, I want to encourage us, with this truth from Second Peter, and it's this, we will pursue godliness when we are convinced that God is generous. We will pursue godliness when we are convinced that God is generous. Second Peter verses 3 and 4, Peter starts off reminding God's people that God's divine power has given them everything pertaining to life and godliness. One translation would say it like this, that God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. He's granted you power. We are reminded in this passage that God's provision is there in our progress. We see his power in the person of Jesus God's divine power is seen not saving Jesus from the cross, but his power is so great that he can save him through it, that he raises his son from the dead with all power in his hands in order to tell death, oh death, where's your power? Oh death, where's your sting? God saves us from eternal separation from him, but he also gives us his power acts 1 and 8 before Jesus ascends to heaven he says you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you romans 8:11 that same spirit that raised christ from the dead now lives in you god gives us this power so that we would praise him for his goodness and also so that we would reflect his goodness in our character God is gracious and generous and he empowers the work he's called us to do he gives us his power and then the text goes forward and says through his glory and excellence he's given us precious and very great promises these worthwhile Promises that we must cherish and internalize in order for us to reflect who God is, his sure word, his promises that empower us to live, not based on what we feel and how we see, but based on what God has said. Power, promise, the presence of the Holy Spirit, a divine nature that God has given us. We've been born again with a new nature. This text shows us and teaches us that in the Christian life, we are not having to pick up ourselves by our own bootstraps. Recently, Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys owner, he was doing an interview and they were asking him about the issues around black ownership in the NFL and He said that he would walk across Texas in order for, if he could, in order to have more black owners in the NFL. And he started to share his story of ownership. And he said in 1989 that he could barely afford to buy a $140 million team. That it was so hard for him to be able to buy the team in 1989. And that story sounds real good until you know the history behind it. Jerry, it sounds good, but we know the story behind how you were able to buy this team. In the 1960s, your father had a multi-million dollar insurance company. And when you graduated from college, he made you the vice president of that company. You were born into money. You had a father that invested everything into you, and yes, you had to work, but everything you needed was already at your disposal. You already had an inheritance, so stop lying to people, acting like you had to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You had everything you needed in order to be financially successful. Y'all with me? His father gave him everything he needed to be financially secure. And church, your father has given you everything you need for life and godliness. When God looks at you and you're living as if you have to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, he's saying, I gave you an inheritance. I I gave you the Holy Spirit. I've given you my word. I gave you the gift of prayer so you always have access to me. I've given you spiritual gifts to exercise within the church. I've gave you people around you to encourage you, to sustain and keep you, to support you, sometimes to correct you and to rebuke you. But I've given you all these gifts. Why are you living like I've given you nothing? We are not living our lives trying to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. God has given us everything we need for life. And godliness. Romans chapter 8, it reminds us that God is, is for us. If God be for us, then who can be against us? If he did not withhold his only son, how much more with him will he give us all things? God calls us to things. He calls us to hard things, to do difficult things, and he also gives us the resources to do it. As the text moves forward, you'll notice that Peter reminds them of the power and the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit that they have access to. But he also says that God's power and his promises are a source of the escape from the corruption in the world because of evil, or sinful desire. Peter does not say that the world is corrupt because of behavior, but because of desire. This is hard for us to wrestle with in a culture now where we have the idol of desire. The language of the scriptures to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus feels foreign to us. We don't have a category for denying the things that we want. Desire is natural to us. And in our culture, and even sometimes in our church, we live as if because desire is natural to us, we need an outlet to express our desires. That having natural desires means that God, God wants us to pursue the fulfillment of desire. I love this word. Peter uses corruption. This definition I read this week really helped me think about this passage. It says this, that corruption is the process by which something, typically a word or expression, is changed from its original use or meaning to the one that is regarded as erroneous or debased. That it is a change, a distortion of something that once was good that has now been used in a way that changes its nature. This corruption because of evil desire, one translation calls it this immoral freedom. We live in a time where liberation is defined by doing whatever we want to do. That we live in a time where our desires dictate our doctrine. Our desires dictate values. They dictate our convictions. They dictate how we think, how we feel, how we behave. Our desires dictate who God is rather than who God is shaping and reshaping our desires. Second Timothy 4 and 3, it would say like this is Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions." This is the freedom that the world offers us, that the world calls us to to do whatever we want. But the gospel reshapes and reframes how we ought to understand what true liberation is. The gospel says that if you do whatever you want to do, if you live however you want to live, that's not liberation, that's bondage. But to be liberated, to be free to live in God's power and his promises, it is to live in a way in which you show, that you demonstrate that you live in a way that is designed by God for you to live. True liberation is doing what God has created and designed for you to do. This is the temptation, and Peter knows it, and he later in this letter is reminding them that false teaching always comes from sinful desires. But we trust God's word because we can trust his character. He reminds them, church, that God has given you power He's given you his promises, and now because of those things, you are empowered to live a brand new life because you have been born again. You've been bought with a price. You no longer belong to sin, but now you belong to God. As the text moves forward, we see God's provision for our progress, and then we move forward to these virtues. We, the text teaches us that we should be the most diligent people in the world. Because God has been so diligent to us. God has been so generous to us. Starting in verse 5, we see the truth that practice makes progress. We often hear that term, that mantra, that practice makes perfect. No, that's not true. The goal of the Christian life is not perfection, but by the power of the Spirit, practice makes progress. Text says, for us to make every effort for this reason make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control steadfastness godliness brotherly affection and love what Peter is saying is in light of what God has given you make every effort this is important for us to make this distinction as we read this church effort is applied to what you've been given. Effort is not applied to what you need to earn. So many of us, we hear and we know the truth that we have been saved by grace through faith. And that is true and we have to preserve and honor that truth but sometimes we can take being saved by grace as something that sets us free from the grace or the effort that grace requires. That to be given God's grace should motivate and compel and move us to action. That God's promises, his power, enables us to practice the faith. I've heard it said like this, that looking like your parents is genetic. But looking like looking like Jesus is intentional in light of what God has given you to make every effort to live in God's power. And his promises require a decisive, a intentional, a conscious, a deliberate action on our behalf to activate God's power and promises in our lives. Notice these virtues, they begin with faith and they end with love. Faith is expressed through love, and love is an exercise of faith. For example, the virtue of self-control. Self-control is an exercise of faith because it reminds, it trains us, and it teaches us that satisfaction is found in godly boundaries and not self-indulgence. It is a expression of love because when I live within the boundaries God has set, I do not exploit others to get what I want. Steadfastness is a exercise of faith because when I find myself facing trials and tribulations, it requires me to trust that God is working out all things for my good, even when I don't see it. And it is a expression of love because it empowers me to be patient with people that God has, is changing over a period of time without trying to force change in their lives through critique, manipulation, and anger. Faith is an expression of love, and love is an exercise of faith. God says when you invest in your faith through practicing the virtues that will make you more like Jesus, your character will slowly reflect my love for you and my love for others around you. That these virtues are developed in relationship. These virtues are developed in community. We invest not in our own personal effort, we invest in God's provision. And God has promised us that through being trained in godliness, we will grow in Christ's likeness. We place our effort into what God has already given us. And as we move forward, Peter reminds them that those who lack these virtues, those who lack these qualities are so so nearsighted that they're, They're blind. Peter is telling us that it is possible to have a type of faith without any evidence of real fruit. He he says that lacking godly qualities is a sign of spiritual forgetfulness. When, 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 When effort is not applied to what God has given us, we, church, can become Christians by name only and not by nature. Not responding to God's power and his promises have implications because we can agree that God's word is true, but we cannot, we will not live in obedience if we do not practice these qualities because of God's power and his promise. That those who do not practice the faith lose sight of their past deliverance they have forgotten that they've been cleansed from former slaves uh, former sins and they slowly revert back to a life of bondage he says that unfaithfulness is seen in fruitlessness and where there is fruitful fruitlessness there is forgetfulness recently me and my my wife we've had some, some car issues. Her car had to go to the to the shop, and we got a rental car, and she was driving my car back and forth to work, and maybe after a week or so, she came home, and she's like, Tim, I don't want to drive your car no more to work, and I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we got the rental car. You can drive that. What's going on? Is something wrong with my car? She's like, no, it's just your, your side mirrors are, are cracked, and I'm not a, I don't feel safe driving the car because of some of the issues with the car, so I'd just rather drive the rental car. And in my mind, it's, I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. Uh, but I thought about it, I'm like, what's, what's wrong with the car? It, there's nothing wrong with the car. It's, it can still function even though there's cracked mirrors. Uh, and I got a 2007 Honda Civic, only car I ever, ever had, 250,000 miles on it. Uh, and I thought about it, and I said, yeah, when I moved to Atlanta, uh, I remember one mirror got cracked, uh, but it didn't fall off, so I kept driving it. Uh, a year after that, another mirror got cracked on the other side. I was like, well, I've been driving with this other cracked mirror, so I'll drive with two. Um, and then the visor fell off one day. The, the trunk latch won't close like it's supposed to. And uh, there's a sound in the, in the engine. I don't know what it is, but it makes this sound. But I, I can still function. I can still drive the car, but it it took me, I had to think about it and reflect, because I'm like, though I'm I'm used to functioning, driving that car. But until somebody else got into the car, I didn't realize how dysfunctional the car was. (laughs) I had got, I got used to driving with the cracks. So I forgot what the car, what type of condition the car should be in, in order for it to be safe. Church, I want to encourage you this morning that some of us have gotten used to the dysfunction. We've been driving, we've been living our lives with the cracks, with those attitudes and those actions, those sins, those behaviors. We've gotten used to those outbursts of anger. We've gotten used to the sins that have always been with us. We've gotten used to holding grudges. We've gotten used to the unforgiveness. We've gotten used to isolating ourselves. We've gotten used to numbing our pain through watching television and social media. We've gotten used to giving ourselves to lust. But I got to tell you this morning that God has called you out of that dysfunction. When God gets in the car, when Jesus gets in the car, he says, I not only saved you from eternal damnation, but I've also saved you to change you. When I come into your environment, when I come into your space, everything around me must be purified. I got to fix those cracks. I got to fix those repairs. I got to fix those sounds. I got to fix those things that you've gotten used to. You've been a Christian so long that you forgot what I've delivered you from. I have to remind you, I have to show you my power by not only saving you, but I have to remind you that I've saved you to change you that his goal is not just for us to go to heaven when we, got, when we die. His goal is to make us look just like him in this world so the world will know by our love for one another who we belong to. <laughs> Jesus, he comes into the situation with his power and his promises, and he says that I'm here to create in you a clean heart, to a, renew a right spirit within me. I'm going to allow my kindness to create repentance and lead you to repentance in my life. God has saved us not to just leave us where we are but to make us what he created us to be. He saves us to change us and even when we forget what we've been cleansed from he is faithful even in our unfaithfulness because he cannot deny who he is. I love what Peter does after he gives this warning that those who don't practice these things, that they are blind and they've they've forgotten that they've been cleansed from their former sins. He says the same thing he said in verse 5. Peter says, even if you have forgotten what God has cleansed you from, I want you to make every effort Make every effort. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Watch that. He does not say earn calling and election. He says that your fruit confirms that God has truly saved you. So many times we struggle with assurance. Has God really saved me? We find ourselves in situations and struggles where we start to question our salvation we start to question God's presence and God's promises and I want to make space for a healthy practice of that because the Bible does tell us in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 that we should examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith that we should not just assume that we belong to God but we must also reflect on our attitudes our heart posture in order for us to actually know the truth that we do belong to Jesus But in this passage, Peter is reminding the church that assurance is not only in understanding our salvation, but assurance is found when we submit ourselves to the Savior. Some of us lack assurance, not because God has not saved us, but because we have not submitted to Jesus's Lordship. We grow in assurance when we see spiritual fruit and when we will see spiritual fruit when we have submitted ourselves fully to the authority of Jesus. Peter, he calls the church to make every effort. Because even... When there is unfruitfulness or even if there is unfaithfulness and forgetfulness, that does not mean that God's power is void. That God's power would not fail and his promises will not fail. The same power and promise that delivers you is the same power and promise that can remind you in this moment that God has created you in his image and his likeness. And he's called you to himself in order for him to change you. God is too faithful to leave us where we are his power and his promises are so powerful and are too powerful not to make us into everything God wants us to be it's through God's power and his promise that we are reminded church that you have the agency to change you have the ability to change And because you have agency and ability, you have the responsibility to change. The question of this passage for us, for our church, as we look at the culture around us, as we look at the work God is calling us to, is not in how hard we are trying, but are we being trained up by God's word to invest in God's power and his promise only application I have for us this morning is a reflection because all of these virtues that God has called us to his divine power and his promises that empower and enable these virtues to be developed in our lives for some of us if we are not living with God's people church you're living outside of God's power All of these virtues are developed in relationship. That we know we need God's power when we face people in relationships that God has called us to love, but we don't have the ability to. And when we don't have the ability to, that pushes us, that causes us, that shows us our need to depend on God's promises and his power to do something that we cannot do in our own power. That grace it's not only unmerited favor, but grace is a power, a strength in our weakness, a strength to do something that we cannot do in our own power to ask God for help. And we ask God, we strive, we strain, we work, we are trained up to do what God has called us to do because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Church, I want to encourage you, don't settle for a life where you say, God has saved me and I'm going to heaven when I die. Don't just settle for that, just being the only thing you focus on in your Christian life. Listen, that's our aim. That's our goal. The Bible calls us to set our affections and our thoughts on things above and not things on on earth. God calling us to himself. The reality that we will have an eternity with God motivates our present work. The truth that we'll be with God one day and we'll see him and he will have rewards for those who are faithful to him. That should excite us and motivate us for doing the work he's called us to right now. But I want to encourage us not to settle on the Reality that we're going to heaven when we die, but ask God to change us and use us and create us into the people he's called us to be in this present moment so that we would reflect his goodness in the world and others around us would glorify him for his greatness. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. My only prayer in this moment right now is that you would point out anything in us that offends you. And, Lord, I pray that we will be honest around our struggles, our attitudes, our temptations. I, won't, I, I pray that we will be honest around the ways that we've lived our lives as if you're not powerful and your promises are not true. And I pray, Lord God, that you will remind us in this moment that you are faithful. And the work that you began in us, you will complete. And your prom- you promised us that you will complete it upon your return. God, remind us of your power, your presence, your promises, and I pray you would help us to live in those things so that we would make every effort and that you would help us to practice those qualities so that we would not fall, that we would not stumble and fall away from you, God. We need you. I pray you would bless us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.